Bedlam is a scene of madness, chaos, or great confusion. And we're going to pair our mayhem with a bottle of wine. This, this is, is Bottle of Bedlam. Hi, Angela. Why are you excited? I just opened a gift from? from you. You told me that you had a custom-made surprise gift, and I thought it was adult um, best friend necklaces. <laughs> like, I was going <laughs> like to get half, half a heart. heart. <laughs> mm -hmm. But no, it is nothing like a necklace. It goes on my little toesies, and uh -huh. it's something I never expected. The cutest custom made wine drinking shoes so i tried to dance a little jig in them you did dance a little jig you did a little hop yes where you kind of clicked your yes heels, my together. heels together yes I'm, i think i pulled something so our reputation so precedes us that the backstory on uh the new uh christmas van wine clicking shoes i'm sitting at home one day and one of my friends says sends me a text with a picture of these hand painted vans that has on one foot a red a glass of red wine sort of splashing up on the side and the other shoe has a green bottle of wine pouring in to the glass of red wine and she was like I think you and Angela need these and I thought I have never agreed with any statement more yes. than that <laughs> They're so comfy and cozy. I've, I don't think I have ever had any vans. I have never had a pair of vans. They're pink checkered, pink and white checkered. Yes. And we'll we'll post pictures, but we want to give a shout out to Jalen. She's amazing. She's awesome. She's super talented. And I'll put her um, Facebook and Venmo link in the show notes because she hand painted them. Yeah. Like I it, I just I, I thought they could be our recording shoes. They need to be. Like yes. that way we would have inspiration from our mouth to the tips of our toes, red wine for, to the lips, all the way down throughout the body, all the way all the way to, the, way to the bands on our toes. I like it. Thank you. I I thought it was, I thought it was a good way. And Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Thank you. We survived the Thank holidays. You. We did survive barely. Like yes, today is January second. Praise, praise Jesus. And yes, yeah. I still need, I saw you need to take down your Christmas tree. I still need to take down mine. So oh, baby yeah. steps, but I may know. just leave mine up all year. I mean, would I you judge me? No, thank you. Because yours has the flocking and it's such a Ugh. nightmare to clean up when you, I'm put covered up and take down. in flocking and I only have the flipping flock because Brandon. Well, I love the flipping flock. I hate the flipping flock. And the flipping flock is really <laughs> cute, though. Are you talking about flipping flock or the actual flipped flock? Because <laughs> the flock, when you flip it each year into your beautiful Christmas tree, oh, is but it's flipping so beautiful. messy. And let me just say this: so I'll put the the tree is two years old. Brandon told me two years ago. He's like. 
Macy, growing up, I had a flocked Christmas tree, and I was like... Only the bougie people huh? had it before 2000. Like, no one had a flocked 15. Christmas tree that I... I didn't even know what he was talking about when he said a he, flocked yes, of course Christmas he knows tree. what that is. Exactly. And so, what do I do? Because I want to, you know, instill festive spirit into his heart. I go and buy a flocked Christmas tree then that's pre-lit. soon realized that he wasn't worth it. It was flipping flocked. It was yes. awful. Then, last year it was fine. This year, I go, I put my whole tree up and together. Completely and decorated. And came in and vacuumed behind you? Mm-mm, no, oh. there was no sweeping, helping, or vacuuming behind me. Mm-hmm. The entire bottom section of the lights go out. Stop it. Once it's completely decorated. And you can see how much... Decor is on that flipping flock tree. Want to cancel Christmas. Oh no, I haven't. Oh wait, you're gonna want it like beyond cancel Christmas. So I'm like, okay, Brandon, go to Lowe's. They're warm white lights because you know you can't get pure white. You have to get warm he, he white. Got like LED or something. no, no, no. He got warm white. But guess what? When you have a flocked tree, they put the lights on and then they flock the tree. So even a warm light is still not the same different. as a flocked white, warm white. So then the bottom part of my tree had a weird, warm set of lights. Well, then the day before Christmas, the day before my entire family is coming here, the entire top portion of the lights goes out. You can take a look when you go out in a moment. It so sounds very Griswoldish. It's very, it's very Griswoldish. And my attitude got extremely Griswoldish at that point. When the plumbing stopped up? Uh, Fix the new pulse. I was like having a (laughs) moment. So the flocked tree is no more. Mm -hmm. Like after this, the flocked tree is going away. And I'm inheriting my mom's tree, which I've been so excited about because it's like a 10 or 12 foot, which will be great in the living room. She calls me today while we were gone on vacation. All the lights went out. (laughs) Stop it. So... So that one's no yeah. more also. No, I'm taking it. Oh. I'm going to restring those lights, though. At least I know going so into brave. it that I'm having to restring lights. Yeah. This one I completely decorated, and then the lights started going out. And so I don't I don't know. Oh, it was the cat chewing on the blinds. Mm-hmm. Of course it was. Yeah. Because if we don't have kids, we still have cats and dogs. Mm-hmm. Always something making noise. Yes. So how was your Christmas? Did you have any flipping flocks? Um, nothing was flipping flocked, but mm. flipping other things. <laughs> but <laughs> all is well now. Well, good. Yes. Good. The boys, the had, boys a good had a good Christmas. Good. Yes. Good. Yeah. Well, I uh, we we had Christmas, then we traveled to see my sister and her family, and that was good. We had a had a little bit of sickness going on, but um, we went and saw Queen Esther in Branson, and I don't know if you've heard about it. Uh-uh. It's remarkable. Like, yeah. it's the story, obviously, it's the story of Queen Esther from the Bible, mm-hmm. but the production, I don't even know what to say about it. You need to Google it, and there's no way any image on Google, it is almost, it's a 180 degree set. There are real birds. I got hit in the head by a bird oh gosh yes there are donkeys there are horses there are elephants that look real but are not it's it's why have i never heard of this i don't know but you need can i just tell you when you said we went and saw queen esther i thought you were talking about a 
like, you know, when you go to uh, Destin, you stop and see the ship. Oh. I thought it was going to be a boat. <laughs> <laughs> well, a boat. I should have clarified <laughs> Or something on a lake. <laughs> well, that's, you know what, that actually, given what you know about me. Speaking of boats, we saw the Titanic Museum also in Branson, Missouri. Oh, okay. That's My character. place for it. It really was. It was, it was, again, it was really cool. When you go in, they give you the name of a passenger or a crewman. And then at the end of the tour, they tell you whether or not you survive or perish. <gasps> it was really cool. Both Brandon and Tony died. Oh. The rest of us lived. But my 10-month-old little baby was taken from my arms as the boat was sinking. They tell you a story about each passenger and crewman. Gosh. It was really... So, yeah. But other than that, it was like we just kind of traveled. We got home yesterday, and I went to bed at 645 at night and slept almost 13 hours. Oh, that sounds amazing. It was... It was amazing. That's honestly why I felt bad coming over here at 730 at night. No. Because... Don't feel bad. We need to but do we this. we needed, yes. Yes. Um, okay, so wine-wise, we're mm-hmm. right now we're drinking. I found a new 14 hands. It's called a Juicy Red, and it's 14.5% alcohol. I can tell. Yes, it's it's extremely tasty, and Brandon told me last night it's his new red, favorite <gasps> red. Oh. A 14 hands. It's called Bold. Juicy Red. Okay. Yes. So that's, that is what... Did you have any good wine over the Christmas holidays? Oh, I had a bunch um, you <laughs> lush. Well, I I was taste testing for our recordings. Listen, uh, it, it was, was research. research. Yes, <laughs> that needs to be a T-shirt. It was research. It was research. Um, so you you helped my niece yes. pick out a good one for me for Christmas. Yes. I had that one. Juggernaut. Yes. It's a good. Um think of any others that stuck out um the winery downtown has a new cab oh. that they just came out with finesse okay um, yes out of sulfur springs and it, they came out with a new cab it's good and have you ever tried their cider i have okay. yes yes and um, i'm a fan yeah i'm a fan I liked it. it was different yeah. so it's like a wine cider and, and if they ever good. wanted to advertise they could sponsor us Yes. Just saying, finesse. Yes. You know, we're local. Uh They're local. We're local. We can be local together. Uh You know. That is true. Because this is about wine. I mean, it's not about wine. They're about wine, but we're about wine and crime. Wine and crime. Wine and crime. Um, Okay. So, speaking of crime, uh, this, I am fairly certain, is going to be the first episode of our El Casting the Pado. Yes. Okay. And I may be sleeping on your couch this evening. That's perfect. From what you're telling me. Yes. Well, we're going to try to do, it's two parts. And trust me, part one is hard, but mm-hmm. part two is harder. Okay. Um, this is um, this is one that I, I knew we would do. I thought it would be later on. But um, like I was telling you earlier, I couldn't sleep one night. And so I started kind of deep diving and reading about um, the man we're going to talk about today. And um, I just, there's so much, so, so much. And I felt like this would be a good way to kind of, you know, get us out there. Yes. Kind of test us. Mm -hmm. Like how gruesome can we go? Mm -hmm. 
Well, and then that's the thing with us. If this ends up being our first episode, you don't tell me what Mm-mm. you're going to be talking about. No, so you know I have no clue mm-hmm. what we're yeah. about to discuss. Correct. Um, so today we are going to talk about our first official serial killer. And we, we're not going to spend all of our time on serial killers. They are so overdone. All the true crime podcast, um, they, they really love the serial killer genre and I get it. Like it is pretty fascinating, but, um, this guy's fascinating to me one because, um, he kind of gets overlooked and overshadowed by like the Dahmers and the Bundys and the, the more popular, I guess, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, serial killers. Um, and that's really pretty incredible because he was like, like you have your Jeffrey Dahmers. Dahmer is known for like cannibalism, uh, Bundy. He's kind of known for liking to have sexual intercourse with the corpses for long time after they've Ew. ceased to okay. to live. Okay, mm-hmm. that's called necrophilia. Mm-hmm. Um, this little this little guy that we're going to talk about today, and I am using the word little because he's completely the opposite of little. He has both of those depravities, so he's a real gem. He's he's super duper special in all the wrong ways. Mm-hmm. So uh, pour yourself a glass, love. <laughs> Well, you did. <laughs> yes, you're going to need more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we, as we're moving on, we're moving on to a, a Robert Mondavi. We're going to do a, a Robert Mondavi cab because we're going to need it. Um, I am about to introduce you to the man known as the co-ed killer. That does sound familiar. Yes. On December 18th, 1948, in Burbank, California, Edmund Emil Kemper III was born. He was the middle child of parents E.E. E. and Clarnell Kemper. And let me just say, <laughs> for this episode, in reference to parents, we are using the word parents loosely. They are biological donors and incubators. Okay. Parenting they did not. No bueno. They suck so big at parenting. Like, they make me and you. We're not even in the same species of parents as these people. They are horrible. I hate to ask the question so Sorry. soon. Go but, ahead. But do you think that this oh, man would have been created if he had had... Different parents. I, from I, you, what you know, you know me. We've talked about this. I mm-hmm. believe that you know nature versus nurture. I think it's a little bit of both. But in this situation, when you hear about the parenting, and when you hear about the um, crescendo of his crime, yeah, you're going to very clearly see that um, Edmund was very much created, and he was created primarily by his mother. Clarnell is horrific. She is, her womb should have been closed. Is that the only child they had? No. Okay. No, there's two more. Yes. Um, They both really sucked. Edmund at birth weighed 13 pounds. Now, between the two of us, we have five children. I think I've had the biggest one. Noah was 
eight pounds, nine ounces, 22 and a half inches long. 713. Okay. 13 pounds. I know people who've given birth to triplets and they've not had 13 I'm pounds of babies. I'm going to say Sugar Plum had a stretch marker too. <laughs> I'm going to say she had some stretch marks and lots of other stuff because I she had issues before the 13 pound Bambino but the 13 pound Bambino surely she had a tumor and a baby no, at the same time no he he came out all 13 pounds of Edmund okay yes Edmund the 3rd was 13 pounds um he was um he had two sisters. He was the only boy of the three kids. His sisters were named Susan and Alin. His father, E.E., e., or Edmund Jr., fought in World War II. After the war ended, he finished his military service testing atomic bombs. After getting out of the military and upon returning to California, E.E. E. began working as an electrician. Clarnell Elizabeth Kemper, the devil of all things Kemper, uh, was not only a terrible mother, but she was an absolutely awful wife. She constantly belittled her husband's electrical job and made his life utterly miserable. After they finally separated in 1957 and ultimately divorcing in 1961, E.E. E. would say of his ex-wife that, quote, suicide missions in wartime and atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with Clarnell end quote. Wow. Yeah. She was a, she was a dandy. She, it sounds that just, way. Just know that Clarnell is. Clarnell. Clarnell. What a strange Her parents name. hated her. Yes. Therefore, she passed on that hatred, that perennial hatred to her, to her own children. Mm -hmm. After his parents' unhappy marriage finally ended, Edmund, along with his two sisters and his hateful mother, moved to Montana. Young Edmund's life was not happy. His mother, who suffered from alcoholism, was verbally abusive toward Edmund from a very early age. Always significantly bigger than his peers, Clarnell would make fun of Edmund and heckle him about his size and his awkwardness. And if you think about it, like you've seen the kid that grows super fast. Yeah, he it's has, a good thing to be big. What if he was a little oh. tiny? It seems like it's better to be, like, if you had to choose one or the other. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, like, when you're big. young, and, because I can remember, like, when when Noah, he, he grew, you know, Noah was a big boy, and his feet, they were always big. And so, I used to say that when he would run, you know, it just, he didn't have that smooth you know, oh, yeah. running stride that a lot of, you yeah. know, the kids who their, you know, their center of gravity mm -hmm. was, was lower because they yeah, he's, were, they've got to catch up to yes. their growth. Yes. They have to mm -hmm. grow into their feet and their mm -hmm. hands and all of that. Um, but Kemper, who many sources report had a very close relationship with his father. He was devastated when his parents got divorced. Now, don't get me wrong. There was already some weird stuff happening in Edmund's mind. Um, it was very clear that he had some very dark fantasies and that he enjoyed inflicting pain on things at this point. However, the darkness in Edmund's mind was exacerbated by his mother's constant negativity. 
By the time he was 10 years old, Clarnell was forcing Edmund to sleep in their home's dark, dank basement alone. Oh, gosh. And then she would put the kitchen table and the chairs... In front of the door? ...over it. The entrance to the basement was in the floor. And he had to walk. He had to go down. It wasn't, it was kind of, it was steps, but it was more of like a ladder step. Mm-hmm. He had to do that. There was a single light bulb that there was no switch. He had to walk in the darkness to pull the little silver chain to this single swinging light bulb that illuminated this dark, dank basement that he was locked in every single night until his mother moved the table and chairs in the morning. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. And I'm ten. glad we don't have basements here. Ten. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that will help me sleep better. <laughs> True. At least. There's no I'll one under you sleeping in a dark, dank basement. Yes. Um, in interviews after his arrest, so yes, he does do some really awful stuff and he does get caught. He described what it was like to be relegated to the pitch black basement each night while his sisters and his mother slept in the warm lit house above him. Clarnell, he compared it to hell. He said, every night my mother sent me to hell and they got to sleep in heaven. Like in his 10 year old mind, that's how he saw what she was doing to him every night. Yeah. Clarnell, though, as she would try to defend herself later after his horrific crimes came out, Clarnell would would claim that she made Edmund sleep in the basement because she feared that he might hurt one of his sisters. And while there's probably some putting something over the Yes. She didn't have a man living in the home. And there's probably some truth Something because you're over. seeing, we see very early on that Edmund, old Eddie has, he's got some stuff. Yeah. And so there probably was a part of her that thought she was protecting the girls. But even if she still hadn't seen okay. it, she was still punishing him. Yeah. And, and you'll see that it was, she, he reminded her of her ex-husband who she hated. Mm-hmm. And she constantly told Edmund that. Um, and the young boy, even though he did exhibit signs of trouble very, very early, um, he was, he, he was very, very bright. We're going to see that he is extraordinarily intelligent as he becomes an adult and he created games that him, that he and his sister would play as children. Now, think back on your childhood, Ange. What, what types of games did you play as a kid? Connect Four. Connect Four. Loved it. Loved it. I was thinking like Red Rover, Red Rover. Oh, Let Angie yes. come over. Uh-huh. That kind was that a good chase, one. Chase. Mm-hmm. Tag, tag. Freeze. Mm-hmm. You know, those types of things. Um, or And I said, I spy. Do you remember when your mm-hmm. mom, or like Simon Says? Yes. That was always a good one in my family. My mom would be like, Simon Says, sit down and shut up. No, mom didn't say that, but I know <laughs> she wanted to. Um, but one of uh, Kemper's favorite childhood games was called Gas Chamber. Oh. And the other one was called Electric Chair. Was Gas Chamber where he tooted under the covers of the bed? And <laughs> No, that's, I think, called a Dutch oven. Yes. <laughs> No. I have a feeling it was much worse. It was than... it, it was a little different. So what he would do is he would act like he committed a crime 
and it would it would normally warrant a, the death sentence. So he was killing um, a, a doll, or he was killing something, and then he would allow his sisters to apprehend him, and they would then detain him and convict him. And then he would pretend to be put into the gas chamber or to be put in an electric chair. They would take a stool and he would pretend like, and they would like time to it. And he would writhe around in pretend pain until he was dead. This is what they, this is what was being played in their home. Creepy. <laughs> I mean, he's sleeping in the basement. Then he says is hell. Mm-hmm. And then when he wakes up in the mornings, his mom is calling him awkward and hideous and horrible. And then he's playing electric chair and gas chamber with his sisters and pretending like he's being executed. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's okay. probably not going to grow up to be a preacher. Mm-mm. One would no. guess. Mm-mm. And while his sisters were not awesome, their silly games and petty fighting were nothing compared to the uh, wrath of Clarnell. She would later claim that she neglected him and refused to show him any affection or love because she feared doing so would make him gay. Now I want you to think about that. You've got what? I thank you. That was the exact response I was hoping. Maybe if she was a man, if she was a he, and she was showing him love, I can see. That, but possibly being a. I mean, I, I, but I don't even think like I mean, every kid wants to be loved. Though, yeah, I would think that there would be. I would think that neglect and abuse and the feeling of being unloved would, yes. in most it, people's mind, would think would that think you would that create would cause harm. Right. Right. Um, the need for it more so later, sure. no matter how you get it. Like, right. Yes, absolutely. So, in addition to constantly making fun of his size, and when I say he's big, he was 6'4 by the time he was 15. Oh. So, we're talking big. Yeah. Um, Clarnell called Edmund names and told him that no girl would ever like him and that no woman would ever want him. There was little to no doubt that Clarnell Kemper had some serious psychological stuff going on. And why I'm not fault faulting her for the struggles and the mental illness that she suffered from, it is important to place some of the blame for Edward Edmund's dysfunction squarely on her shoulders. Um, I'm not assigning any of the responsibility. I'm not blaming her for what he ultimately did. But I'm blaming her for what he ultimately became. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, he yeah. chose to do it, but she contributed to the person he became. Gosh, it's so it's crazy, crazy to think about, like, what if she had been a loving mom? Right. I mean, it would have completely transformed. All these lives probably. Lots of lives. Would have been saved. He probably, given what we're going to find out about his intelligence, he probably would have been a very high functioning, I don't, I, he could have gone either way, but I think if he had had a loving relationship with his mother, he definitely, I don't, I do not think that he would have become a serial killer. Yeah. He may have done other types Weird of criminal things, things but mm -hmm. not what he ultimately did. 
As with most serial killers, Kemper's, uh, Kemper displayed unnatural and abnormal fascinations with pain and suffering. As a little boy, he would cut the heads off of his sister's dolls, thus getting him the death penalty in the gas chamber and all that good stuff. Um, according to an interview, Kemper claims that he only did these sorts of things out of retaliation, which if you believe his story, which you really can't believe much of what comes out of Kemper's mouth because he's extremely smart and very manipulative and he loves to talk. He loves to talk and we don't know what's true and what's not because, yeah. well, we, we just don't Only know. He was there yes. and the other persons are not living. Right. In one of the most um, memorable um, sibling squabbles that he had with one of his sisters, um, Edmund claims that he had gone on a trip and been uh, and had gotten a souvenir. When he showed it to his sister, he claims that in a moment of jealousy, she slapped the toy from his hands and it fell to the floor and broke. It was only then that Edmund, wanted and needing revenge, went to her room, and as she looked on and screamed for him to stop, he cut the head and the hands off of one of her favorite Barbie dolls. Do I believe this happened? Yes. Do I believe that there's also a chance that he simply went into his sister's bedroom and for no reason cut the head and the hands off the doll? Yes. With Edmund, it's hard to differentiate fact from fiction. This is probably due to the fact that this man is wicked smart. So he's saying that him ripping the head off of a doll is what started all of this? He's saying like that the feeling in of... No, he's saying in that in this specific case where she broke his toy, mm -hmm. that his immediate and innate response was to get revenge. And that instead of hitting her or yelling or screaming, he went into her room and his first thought was to take one of her dolls and cut the head and the hands off of that doll, which is going to be important later. Okay. Okay, that's a little oh, bit of foreshadowing. Gosh. Okay. Okay. So, um I do think though that it could be him telling the truth, but do I also think that it could be a lie that he's created in order to somewhat justify his latter behavior? Yes, I absolutely think that he could have manifested that story. Yeah. To justify what he does later. So, um, when most people are tested in their 20s, um, a normal IQ is between 85 and 115. Okay. Okay. So, according to Healthline.com, um, that is considered what they call normal or average intelligence. So, okay. 85 okay. to 115, normal to average. Okay. Mm -hmm. Edmund Kemper um, was tested and the tests show that his IQ was anywhere from 136 to 145. How old was he? He was tested as a juvenile. Okay. Okay. And I had a friend one time that did IQ testing for school districts. And she said that your IQ is sort of stagnant. Like you can test a three-year-old and then you can test a 30-year-old. And it should be within a certain range of that. Because IQ is not what you know. It's your ability to learn. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, IQ should be pretty um, 
stack. No matter what. Right. It should stay pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. So even if we take the lower number, the 136, which I think it's on the higher end, I think it's closer to the 145. But even if we take the higher, the lower number of 136, he is. It's still genius almost. Very, very, very intelligent compared. 140 is genius, right? Yes. Yes. So Edmund Kemper had this ability because of his intelligence to control his mind and regulate his behavior. And that is what makes Edmund Kemper very, very different from a lot of serial killers. A lot of serial killers are very, very smart, but most of them lose the ability after a while. You'll see that serial killers have like what they call like cooling down mm -hmm. periods and mm -hmm. stuff. Edmund did somewhat have that, but you'll see that Edmund could have kept going. He was not apprehended because he didn't want to be. So, yes. Carry on. Um, so, trigger warning for the next little part. If you don't want to hear about um, animals being killed, uh, you might want to skip about um, 15 seconds. Uh, as with most serial killers, Edmund's first victims were furry and four-legged. Um, and if you're like my daughter, and this type of information would cause uncontrollable crying, you might want to skip ahead. At 10 years old, the same time that Clarnell began forcing him to sleep in the scary dark basement, Kemper began killing the family's cats. The first one he killed by burying it alive. Okay. He then dug it up and cut its head off. And put it on a spike. That was the first one. And then at 13, he killed the second one using a knife. He literally butchered the cat. After, cutting and kill after killing and cutting the poor cat into pieces, Edmund hid the remains in his bedroom closet. <gasps> now, I want you to think about this. We have kids. In the basement? Yes. Is that where his bedroom closet was? I'm assuming. Was? I'm assuming. But I'm thinking maybe he had a bedroom up in the heaven yeah, part of the house. Kind of... Because it wasn't until old Clarnell, you know, mother of the year, um, she began smelling something. And so she went into his room. And she found the dismembered cat that Edmund had um, had hidden in his closet. And instead of, you know, like flipping and wigging out. She just made him get rid of it. Now, Angela, I'm not mother of the Let's year. See. But if I went into my the child's... The stake is what did it for me. The, uh, the head on the stake, the mm -hmm. head on the spike. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was bad. But say you walked into one of your children's room and you smelt the odor of decay. Mm -hmm. And then you opened their closet door and you found a dismembered cat. I'm wanting to know how calm your response would be. Like, Edmund, clean that up and get it out. Just like you left a pizza box in your room. Like you had a package of Oreos that you ate too many of them. Yes. And you were pissy that they were, had hidden the Oreos. She just, there was no like, let's call a counselor. Yeah. There was no intervention. There was no, hey, love. Let's talk this out. Like, why you killing the cats? You know, I'm not a cat fan. I freaking hate animals. You know what? You know this. But still. Right. 
I I don't like animals at all, but I would have been I would oh, die. Gosh. It would have been Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, to th- know your and on so many levels. Having that in your house. Yes. The disgusting smell, hurting something. Mm-hmm. Yes. All the things. Yes, but not in the Kemper household. Oh no. Carnell, we're just going to rock right along. But now I will say this after the two disturbing, horrific cat killings, and then she, and then you just combine that with her hatred of her son, Clarnell doubled down and she really amped up the rejection and abuse toward Edmund. And finally at 14, light bulb out. (laughs) Yes. So now he couldn't even go to this single swinging light bulb in the basement. Yeah. Now it was just dark. Mm-hmm. His dark mind was in the dark of the dank basement. Ugh. And that is where he's going to stay Ugh. for a while. Um, but finally at 14, Ange, Edmund, he ran away from his mother's home and he ran to his father's house. Now, oh. I would love to be like, and his father was standing there on the front porch and Edmund in slow motion ran the 14-year-old, six foot, probably three at that time, since he was six four at 15, ran into his father's arms and all was well. And that's where this episode ends. That wasn't the case. No. That wasn't. No. Um, now, you're going to feel sorry for kid teenage Edmund for the next few minutes, okay? And that's fine. You can feel sorry for kid Edmund. Um, that's going to change. But um, he made the trip from... Montana. They lived in Helena, Montana. He made the trip to California where his dad was living and he had hoped to be welcomed into his father's home. But he had a new family, didn't he? It's like you can read my mind. Yeah. I know. Saw it coming. Um, now remember, Edmund loved his dad mm-hmm. and he had been devastated at his parents getting a divorce. Um, and I think he had thought that his father would welcome him in to his home with, with open and loving arms. But once there, uh, Edmund Kemper found out that his father was remarried and raising a stepson. He had a family. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I can imagine, I mean, your mother is this abusive, alcoholic, horrific witch who hates you and tells you how horrible you are and how no one's ever going to love you. And she's made your life a living hell. And you run away to your dad's house, hoping that he'll be the hero that you need. And when you finally get there, your welcome is not only lukewarm, but you're hit with the news of, oh yeah, by the way, I got remarried and here's your stepmom. And that kid over there is your stepbrother. And I like him and I'm raising him. Yeah. That would be harsh. That would be awful. Sources differ with regard to what exactly happened or who the issues actually involved. But needless to say that E.E.'s new wife did not want the tall, moody Edmund around. She actually would eventually claim that having Edmund in her home caused her to have migraine headaches. She said the stress of his presence caused her to have acute migraine headaches. After staying a short time, young Edmund was sent to live with his father's parents. And this is where everything goes downhill. So he's run away. He's run away from Clarnell, the mother from hell. He's been rejected by his father. And his stepmother hates him and he gets her migraine headaches. And so now he's sent to live with his paternal grandparents. Okay. So 
We know that Clarnell was verbally abusive, domineering, and a controlling mother who constantly gave Edmund reasons to hate her. We also know that Clarnell and E.E. E., we also know that Clarnell hated E.E. E. They had had a terribly unhappy marriage, and it was reasonable to assume that Edmund's father had suffered much of the same verbal torment from Clarnell that Edmund had experienced. Okay. So when 15-year-old Edmund Kemper, who felt hated by his mother and rejected by his father, arrived at his paternal grandparents' ranch in 1964, he was a very angry man, young man. He, no bueno, he was real pissed. And you said ranch, and I think animals. And did we talk about, the, have I told you this? Okay, I think I talk about it in my notes. Let me see. Um, so... <laughs> I think I do talk about it. I don't know. Maybe I'll get to it. But when it says ranch, like parenting, I'm using that term pretty loosely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and only to add fuel to the fire and the madness simmering in Edmund's mind, his grandparents' relationship and marriage was very similar to his parents. Oh, lovely. Great. So, Kemper would later describe his grandfather, Ed Kemper Sr. So, I know there's a lot of Eds. So, you've got Ed Sr., who is grandfather. You've got E.E., e., who is Edmund's father. And then you have Edmund, and he's the third. Okay. Okay. Edmund would later refer to Ed Sr. as senile and claimed that his grandmother, Maud Huey Kemper, who thought she had more balls than any man and oh. was constantly emasculating Edmund and his grandfather. Well, that is kind of ironic that his dad chose the same type woman that his mother was. We well, you know that's what people say. I know. People say we marry our fathers and that men marry their mothers. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about all that, but... It did appear, however, that young Edmund did respect and like his grandfather. Like the relationship he had with his father, young Edmund cared for the two older Edmonds, but was infuriated by their submissiveness to the women in their lives. Maud, who wrote children's books for a living. So his grandmother is an author. But is mean. mean. Yeah, but she writes children's books. She was stern, but according to many accounts, the grandmother actually feared Edmund. She told people that lived near them that he stared at her with hate in his eyes. I bet he did. I bet he did, too. Once Edmund moved into his grandparents' house, his mental state really started to deteriorate. He already possessed an interest in guns when he arrived at the ranch in North Fork, California, but his interest heightened by the opportunities he had to kill small animals and birds. Oh, here it is. Okay, funny aside. This ranch was 17 acres. Okay. Mm -hmm. Angela, when I read that, I literally lived, laughed out loud. In a Texas, ranch. that would be a pasture. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking a thousand. Right. Because I Googled it, and there's a ranch in South Texas called King Ranch. It's like mm -hmm. one of the biggest, actually, I think, in the United States. Was it like 3,000? 825,000 oh, acres. Oh, gosh. Yes. I had no concept. It goes into like four counties. And they're calling a 17-acre pasture a I ranch. I had no idea that ranch was that big. I actually have a friend that got arrested on King Ranch. Oh, really? How'd they find them? 
Well, like the, you could get this specific lost. friend would not be hard to find or hear. Oh, if you, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but his Edmund's grandfather, um, who no doubt was trying to find something that would bond the two of them um, and hopefully change Edmund's so they started shooting life, guns. purchased his grandson a twenty-two gauge mm. shotgun. After he massacred several birds, his grandfather, or I'm sorry, his grandmother, upset with his pointless killing, made Grandpa Ed take the rifle away from Edmund. Okay. She did it. Oh, yes, Maud did. Maud real peed in Edmund's Cheerios when she took the gun because he was finally, even though he was senselessly killing animals, he kind of had this weird outlet mm-hmm. where he had she something outlet away and she took and she made his grandfather do it so she not only took it away but she forced her husband the man to do it and so Edmund was pissed off at her for wanting the gun taken away and mm-hmm. then he was more pissed off that his grandfather had Let her. acquiesced to that yes um now, before we get to the next part, I want to remind y'all um, what we've got going on here. Edmund Kemper is a huge, awkward 15-year-old boy who had suffered a lifetime of varying abuse and ridicule at the hands of his alcoholic mother. His father has rejected him to appease a new wife and stepson. He sees his controlling grandmother just as he saw his horrible mother and his compliant grandfather he sees as cowardly as his own father. He quite literally hates every single person in his life. So with that, all of that information and the pressure cooker that is Edmund Kemper, he finally exploded. On August the 27th, 1964, Ed Sr. left home to run errands. Back at the house, Edmund and his grandmother Maud oh, had an argument while they uh, sat together at the kitchen table. It was when, her last argument. Wasn't it was. It? it was her final. It was her final spat. Um. When they finished having their argument, he said he needed some fresh air. As Maud sat writing a children's book, because again she's an oh, author. Oh my gosh. Why did you Edmund have to say that? got up and headed out of the house with his 22 gauge gun. However, when he reached the screen door, the troubled 15 year old, for no apparent reason, turned back toward his grandmother and shot her in the back of the head, as she sat at the kitchen table writing. He shot her two or three more times. Then he approached her body, he wrapped her bleeding head in a towel, and drug her into the bedroom. He laid his grandmother on the bed, and in stereotypical overkill fashion, he stabbed her repeatedly. Then, almost more disturbing, young Edmund laid in wait for his unsuspecting grandfather to return home. When Ed Sr. finally made it back to his house, he was gunned down by Edmund as he got out of his truck. Oh, my God. In what I can only call a completely random double murder, Edmund Kemper had gunned down both grandparents and now found himself alone on a farm away from everyone. In a panic, he called who? His dad. Clarnell. 
Why you gotta call Clarnell? The most evil person he knows. The destructor of all destruction. But he called his mother and told her what he he had done. (gasps) And Clarnell, who oddly remained pretty calm, talked Edmund into calling the police and turning himself in. And that's what he did. He picked up the phone and he called the cops and he told the local policeman he had shot and killed both of his grandparents. Just going to let that story. That should be the end of the story. Like we, 15 years old. I could go to sleep tonight. <laughs> committing. So far. Yeah. Yeah. Girl, hold on to your panties. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes. Um, so after Edmund was arrested for killing his parents, his grandparents, I'm sorry, his grandparents, he underwent a battery of court ordered tests. And it was ultimately determined that along with his very, very high IQ, this is when they discovered that oh, he's uh-huh, like yeah. an Edmund Einstein. Edmund was also suffering from what they diagnosed at that time as paranoid schizophrenia. After this diagnosis, Kemper was reprimanded to the California Youth Authority and was sentenced to a Tascadero State Hospital. Now, as most of you can imagine, his time there took things from bad to worse. Not behavior-wise for Edmund. That's not what I'm talking about. He was a model prisoner. Mm-hmm. During his time in Atascadero, Kemper spent a ton of hours with psychiatrists and counselors. He underwent batteries of tests, and these results were far different than the results that had been um, provided during the court appearances for Edmund. Those tasked with treating Edmund and Atascadero modified his diagnosis from paranoid schizophrenia. They said, oh no, that's not what he has. He's not paranoid schizophrenic. They said he had a personality trait disorder with passive-aggressive typology. Okay. Now, okay. I'm not saying Does that... Does that doc- warrant you killing some mm, I don't think so. Passive-aggressive? I mean, no. I feel like I know a lot of passive-aggressive people. I feel like I know lots and lots of passive-aggressive people. I, I felt like-, like I've had a lot of... Lots of passive-aggressive encounters in my Me. life. Because I'm not passive-aggressive. Mm-hmm. I'm whatever the opposite of passive aggressive is. That's what I am. Yeah. But passive more ag- to the point, <laughs> a little more direct. Yes. But I think passive aggressive, I think that's a very useful character trait in certain circumstances. I just say sometimes I feel like I'm a- you are extraordinarily passive aggressive. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> and I mean that in the best, you don't have a personality disorder. You, but you can get what you want without saying a word. What do you mean? Passive aggressive is when you, passive aggressive behavior is the ability to, like, I have to throw a rip raging fit. I need an example of me. I could give you so many examples. (laughs) That's a whole new episode. That's a whole separate episode of. I'm trying to think of me in particular. Your text messages to certain people are extremely passive aggressive. When you seem dismissive, when you are dismissive or you are. And then once you get to know me, it's sarcasm is kind of what it is. No, you are. I don't know that you're sarcastic. You're very witty. But it's a, it's a. um, You're passive aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, you are. But it's not a personality disorder in your. Yours is a personality. You will stay alive. Thank you. Thank you, passive aggressive. Would you like one? Yes, please. 
Um, oh, well, I don't want to mix. You finish. Oh, thank you. Um, but during one of the interviews with the psychiatrist um, and attending counselors, Kemper was asked why he shot his grandmother, and he simply said, to see what it felt like. Like, that's, he, he had had arguments with her in the past. I mean, they had bickered repeatedly. He bickers with everyone. But he reached a point in his life where he literally admitted he just wanted to see what it felt like. Oh, and it gets worse for me. Oh, my word. And then when he was asked, well, why did you kill your grandfather? He said that it had basically been a mercy killing. He did he not. be sad. He said, I didn't want my grandmother, my grandfather, to find out that his wife had been murdered. Mm -hmm. He really loved him, didn't he? In a very bizarre way. Yeah. He literally thought he was doing his grandfather a favor by like killing him. Like not having a concept of right. life. Yes. Now, some who have interviewed Kemper read far more into the grand parental killings um, than it just being about, you know, as he claimed, curiosity for his grandmother and compassion for his grandfather. One such psychiatrist, Dr. Donald Lund, opined after interviewing an adult Edmund. So this is in the future, Dr. Lund interviews Edmund okay. and he says that in his way he had avenged the rejection of both his father and his mother and if you think about it yes he's so highly intelligent that I could see Edmund even as a 15 year old saying I'm going to kill the people who my father would love like that would definitely hurt mm -hmm. his father mm -hmm. and he could almost kill his mother by substitution by killing that overbearing mean grandmother Maud. I wonder if we could find some of her children's books. Probably. Oh, we talk about books later. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, regardless of what his true motivations were, Kemper absolutely freaking dazzled the doctors and the staff of Atascadero He's Hospital. He's faking everything anyway. And he like... completely won their trust. They loved him. Loved him. Um... He was actually allowed to administer psychological and psychiatric tests to other prisoners at the hospital. Understand, he is less than 21 years old. He is, he is, an, he is a juvenile at this facility. And he has so wowed the staff and the doctors that they are allowing him to give psychological tests to other prisoners. Mm -hmm. And the other prisoners are not juvenile. Some are, but some are not. And while that might seem all nice and like the young man had truly been rehabilitated, Edmund Did was, they think he, they had, I guess. They oh, they gave him a clean bill of health. Oh. Later. Oh, yeah. They're like, this guy is completely cured. Like, they were patting him on the back, themselves on the back, everybody on the back. They thought old Eddie baby had, he was if what. If we have an IQ over 100, you're not rehabilitated. No. You're outsmarting. Because you've, if you have an IQ that high, you are keenly aware of the wrong that you have done. Exactly. There's no way he committed it and didn't know that shooting his grandmother in the back of the head was wrong. And then dragging her to the bedroom by her head and stabbing her. Like there's no confusion on his part. But Edmund would later admit he learned a ton 
of horrible things from the inmates he interviewed and from the prisoners who served with him at the hospital. What wasn't already in the darkness that clouded Edmund Kemper's young mind was provided by the much more seasoned, much more seemingly disturbed, convicted sex offenders and killers that he found himself surrounded with. On December the 18th, 1969, Edmund Kemper was released from Atascadero. He was 20 years old that same day. Happy now birthday. again, happy birthday, Eddie. Yeah, freak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't even know what a freak oh, this man is. Gosh. Yes. Um, now again, all these folks who had been treating him for six years thought he was fine. And they said he was not a threat. Six years. To society. He'd been in there from 15 to 21. Yes. Okay. They did, however, warn the parole board that Kemper should not, and I repeat with big capital bold red letters, should not be released into the custody of Clarnell, the mother from hell. Interview after interview, Kemper had shown contempt for his mother. And while most psychiatrists agreed with his release, they thought he should be released. The eventual and the eventual expunging of his criminal record. So they were like, he should be free and this should not be on his record. He murdered two people, but he's fine. They all agreed that. Almost all of those same doctors also agreed that returning to his mother's home and re-engaging in the toxic relationship that they once shared would be the absolute worst thing for Edmund. But that's where he went. But despite the recommendations... Edmund went to his mother's house, a house she shared with, guess who? A new husband. Oh, dear. And tried to prove to everyone that he was just as normal as all the doctors said he was. I bet his mom doesn't live very long. Now, Ange, I want to read you a snippet from one of the last reports submitted to the parole board on Kemper's behalf. If I were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him, I would think that we're dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who had initiative, intelligence, and who was free of any psychiatric illnesses. In my opinion, it is my opinion that he has made very excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation, and I would see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be any danger to himself or to any member of society and since it may allow him more freedom as an adult to develop his potential I would consider it reasonable to have a personal expungement of his criminal juvenile records no okay so that Ange is how good he was. That is how mentally in control of himself that Edmund was. Once he was released from Atascadero, he resumed what most would consider a normal life for a 21-year-old young man. He attended a community college and tried to pursue a career as a police officer. That is the last (laughs) thing in the world I would expect you to say. Mm, no, that's not the last thing in the world you should expect me to say in this episode. But, I mean, I like that, that yeah. that's the last thing right now. The last um, job, I mm-hmm. guess, that I would think. Well, he had a real desire. 
he had a true to do better desire to be to, a police officer. Others. Okay. Um, Big Ed wanted to be a cop. Big Ed, as he would become known to local police. Oh, I thought that was your nickname, but Big Ed. We're going to talk about him. He's Edmund, Ed, Big Ed, Eddie. I got lots of little love names for him, but Big Ed is what the cops called him. They actually called him They actually called him that. Um, He was rejected by the police academy because of his size. By the time he had been released from Atascadero, he was 6'9 and weighed over 300 pounds. So he's a big boy. Well, they didn't have police cars that would fit him. (laughs) Cars, uniforms, hats, anything. But that rejection, while I'm sure it did something to his mental state, it did not dissuade Kemper from trying to find a place in the law enforcement community. Big Ed would often invite himself to join local cops at a bar called The Jury Room. This was a bar across from a local police department. It's called The Jury Room. He's getting in good with all of them. Uh Uh-huh. Edmund worked a few random jobs during his first few months, uh, during the first few months after his release. But no matter what he did... No matter what he was doing at work, attending college, socializing in a semi-normal way, Clarnell just could not keep her mouth shut. The arguments and the fights that defined his childhood relationship. I wonder if he hadn't gone back there if he really would have been rehabilitated and she just opened it all back up. What if he really was trying to do better? I don't think, according to him, there was always an end game with Edward. Okay. Edward, you're going to find. So he went there knowing he was going to do this. Most he likely. repeatedly goes back to his mother. Okay. There is a sick dependence that existed between Edmund and Clarnell. Yeah, definitely. The, uh, the arguments and fights that had defined his childhood relationship with his mother resumed almost immediately. When he was interviewed in the future, Kemper would describe the fights him and his mother immediately started having by saying, my mother and I started in on horrendous battles, just horrible battles, violent and vicious. I've never been in such a vicious verbal battle with anyone. It would go to fist with a man, but this was my mother, and I couldn't stand the thought of my mother, and I was doing these things. She insisted on it, and just over stupid things. I remember one roof razor was over whether or not I had clean teeth. Given the pettiness and the frequency of their terrible squabbles, it was no surprise that as soon as Edmund had saved enough money, he hightailed it out of his mother's house. But like many people in their 20s, Kemper struggled at making ends meet. So unfortunately, he did what many young people do, and he bounced back and forth and back and forth between his mom's house and whatever living quarters he could afford at the time. In 1971, two years after his release, a 23-year-old Edmund found regular employment with the highway department. Unfortunately, this didn't last either. Edmund purchased a motorcycle, and one day when he was out riding, he was hit and injured by another vehicle. His arm was really jacked up in the accident, and it made it to where he couldn't work anymore. But luckily, Kemper was able to file a lawsuit, and he received a monetary settlement for the injuries that he suffered. He was paid approximately $15,000. 
using a portion of the money, he purchased a new car, but quickly found himself bored and beginning to entertain some of the darker, more sinister thoughts that he had been able to process while he had had a job and been in a Tascadero. Initially, Angela, he just watched women. He would just drive around and sort of take it all in because you have to remember he has been in a mental hospital since he was 15 years old. He had never kissed a woman. He had never had sexual relations of any sort with any woman. So during those really formative years of adolescence, Edmund Kemper's life had officially stopped. He'd been in a mental institution, a mental hospital with a bunch of rapists and murderers who were telling him what they did. about rapes and murders. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, at 21, 22, and 23 years old, he was an awkward, physically insecure, convicted murderer who did not know how to speak to a woman, let alone be intimate with her. But he definitely thought about women, and he fantasized about them and what he wanted to do with them. But in the weeks after he purchased his new car he began stashing items for future usage. Things like, you know, plastic bags, <gasps> blankets, a gun, a knife, handcuffs. Oh, gosh. You know, a basic murder kit. So he's bought a car. He's never kissed a woman. Couldn't put all that in the motorcycle. And he starts making a murder kit in the trunk. But Edmund brilliant and beyond frightening, did not immediately start murdering. He spent months driving around, picking up hitchhikers, chatting with them, and then simply letting them go. He would let them live. He was just practicing. He just wanted to see if he could talk to them. He wanted to see if they would talk back to him. And he would take them to their destination, drop them off, I will be sleeping on your couch. And then go pick up the next one. You're welcome to sleep on my couch. I have super cozy blankets. But Edmund's mercy finally ended on May the 7th, 1972. Mary Ann, and I think her name is Pish. It's P-E-S-C-E. And Anita Luchessa, they were both 18 years old and students at Fresno State, the girls were walking home near Berkeley, California. Now, keep in mind the decade. Mm -hmm. This is 1972. Mm -hmm. The hippies are loving everybody. They're painting their faces. They're tree hugging. Everybody's hitchhiking, smoking weed, and right, free love is everywhere, okay? Now, hitchhiking was super, 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 super common in the 1970s. And so, it was not weird for someone to hitchhike, and it was not strange for someone to stop and offer a ride. So when Kemper stopped to pick up Marianne and Anita, he agreed to take them to Stanford. Both were very pretty and very well-dressed. Kemper would later tell the authorities that he chose the two of them that day because they actually looked middle to upper class. He said they looked clean and well-kept because he said those hippies were nasty and didn't bathe. Because of his time at the highway department, because remember, that's where he had worked for a little mm -hmm. bit, um, Edmund knew his way around all the highways and roads and side roads and back roads. and Convenient. 
all that real well. So on this day, with the two victims in his car, he calmly made his way to a secluded area without alarming the girls. He didn't act lost. He was just driving. I'm taking a shortcut. I know exactly where I'm going. Once they arrived in the middle of nowhere, Kemper handcuffed Marianne to the car. In doing so, and I want you to think about this is not funny at all because what happens to these two young women is just beyond. But as he's handcuffing her, he accidentally brushes against her breast. He would later tell the police that he was so embarrassed and that he profusely apologized to Marianne for touching her breast. Oh my gosh. On accident. That is how awkward. That is how completely. I, I don't even know what he's word. handcuffing her. He's handcuffing her with every intention of doing what he's about to do to her. Mm-hmm. And he grazes and her breast and he's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he was embarrassed by it. He was embarrassed. He was sorry that he had touched her boob, but not sorry for what he was about to do to both of the young women. The insanity had only just begun, Angela. After Marianne was handcuffed, he moved a terrified Anita to the trunk of his car. Now I want you to imagine this is me and you. We're walking. We're in the 70s. Our blonde hair's parted down the middle. We've just left college. We're headed to Stanford, probably going to a frat party where we're going to meet our future husbands. This guy picks us up. He handcuffs me to the car, and then he takes you to the trunk. The sheer terror, like, this just is so beyond what mm-hmm. anyone can. Yeah. Most people abduct in ones. Ones. I'm thinking as he's handcuffing the one, what's the other doing? Sitting terrified? Yes. Deer in the headlights? And he's six nine, three hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. So there's no, there's no getting away from him. You'll mm-hmm. see. Some yeah. of them try to run. Yeah. And, and that doesn't work out for them. Um, at first, Kemper laid Marianne across the back seat and attempted to suffocate her with the plastic bag he had taken from his trunk when he put Anita back there. But Marianne was a tough girl, and she fought like bonkers. She bit a hole through the plastic bag so that she could breathe. Edmund, frustrated with how long it was taking to kill her, took Marianne out of the car. So he unhandcuffed her, took her out of the car. He led her a little way away from the vehicle. And there he just started stabbing her. He just started repeatedly stabbing the 18-year-old. He said later in an interview, he thought he was just going to have to stab her once. He didn't realize how messy it was going to be. Oh, my gosh. He didn't know. He was going to have to stab her so many times. According to interviews that he gave after his arrest, Kemper did not like stabbing. He thought it would go faster. He didn't like how messy it was or how long it took. But on that day, stabbing was all he had. He hadn't gotten the gun yet. So, So at this point, he didn't have his gun. After killing Marianne, he returned to the car, opened the trunk, and viciously stabbed Anita multiple times. He admits that he knew she was not dead when he loaded her dead friend into the truck of the car alongside her and drove to his apartment. Anita bled out during the drive. In a later interview, Kemper would recall disliking the processing of disliking the process of killing with a knife. He com- he said he thought it would be a lot quicker, and then he referred to the two young ladies bleeding to the two young ladies bleeding out 
as and compared it to leaking. Oh my gosh. He said they just kept leaking. Sicken, sickeningly, Kemper was pulled over by a cop <gasps> because he had a broken tail light. His two dead bodies in his trunk. And this is not the only time this is going to happen to Edmund Kemper. He has a tail light out. The police officer let him go without a ticket. You can imagine he might have, have had a, a dark. little bit of blood dark. on him. Dark. Let him go. Big Ed. Big Ed. Just let him go. Never knowing that the giant man had committed the third and fourth murders of his life. Once Edmund reached the apartment, he found that his roommate was not home. So he had the place all to himself. He brought the two girls' bodies into the apartment. And this is where the real, like, hold on to your fajitas. This is where the real sick and beyond depraved side of oh Kemper gosh. is revealed. At that point, he had sex with both corpses. He took pictures of their dead bodies in various poses and at different times while he was assaulting their remains. After he committed the egregious acts of profane perversion, Edmund Kemper dismembered the bodies of both young women. He decapitated them, and then he placed their dismembered body parts in plastic bags. He would later confess to discarding the remains near a place called Loma Prieta Mountain. According to some sources, Edmund told the authorities that they could locate Marianne's buried remains. However, according to others, only Marianne's skull was ever found. Investigators were not able to find a single remain of Anita's, but they have the pictures. With that, the co-ed killer began his 11-month reign of terror. After killing Marianne and Anita, Kemper sort of kind of chilled out, weirdly. He continued picking up hitchhikers, but would take them to their desired location, and then he would let them go. Just like in the beginning, mm -hmm. Kemper would even talk to some of the hitchhikers about the crazy person who had picked up those two girls and w what had happened to them. He just couldn't imagine. So they knew somebody had picked them they, up. The two girls were missing. They came from well-to-do families. Mm -hmm. They had been reported missing immediately. But this cooling off period would not last forever. Before long, Edmund Kemper was itching for another victim and another sexual gratification. And that is where we're going to stop with part one for Angelica. Okay. So what do you think about Eddie so far? Well, uh-huh. <laughs> I wish y'all could see to her faces. <laughs> to the, I'm going to be sleeping at the foot of yours in Brandon's bed. You can just sleep with us. Listen, your feet may get cramps from the weight of my body. <laughs> but no friend listen. you can share my heating pad with me <laughs> it's you one of those long pad? ones yes my back is hurting oh i feel really bad complaining about that given what i just read but i know but listen i i think i have an uncle eddie and i don't like him I right now i love your uncle eddie though name. i know and he's a really sweet guy, and you know but... though it goes back I, in my notes i kind of skipped over this part but in my notes, I was talking about, you know, right now, my 16-year-old hates me, like, on a real ugly level, my 16-year-old son. 
And when I was writing this and, and researching it, I, I couldn't help but think about how a mom is so important and influential in their children's lives, but how a mom and a son, like it's so true, like dads and daughters, yeah. like have, there's just something, I don't know. It's not like dads love their daughters more. It's just like a different mm-hmm. type of love. And I think the same is true for moms and sons. Like, you know, there's just something different. And I think that, you know, my son, he he's mad at me right now, and he thinks I'm the world's worst mother in the whole wide world. Which you're not. What, well, you you're know, an I amazing mean, mom. I don't know that I'd say that. No, but we're just having a moment. It just, it's so crazy to me that there are moms that suck as bad as Clarnell, and then mm-hmm. the moms like me and you and all the people that we know, like, we have such mom guilt every single day of yeah. working and feeding our kids frozen pizzas and not, you know, do they, are they on their phone too much? or their grades good enough? Do they, I mean, like all the stuff that we like beat ourselves up. she's locking him in a basement and putting a table over the door. And literally creating a monster. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you, you have your children and you devote yourself to them and you work so hard to love them and to, to give them everything. And then you have moms like this. And then there are moms that suck that bad and their children grow up to be congressmen. Right. So there was definitely something wrong with Edmund. Yeah. But then she was just lighter fluid. Mm -hmm. Like he had something going on and then he had this remarkable intelligence and then he had this really shitty mom. So it was like every ingredient that a psychopath needed. To become a psychopath. Like Edmund Kemper had it. And I mean, it's just... It's so crazy, but I just could not help but think about the influence of a mom. Like, if she had shut her mouth, I'm not saying he would have lived a life free of crime, but I don't know that he would have been decapitating women. Because you're going to find... True. I think petty crime would have been boring. It would have been boring. He would have gotten bored with it, and he probably would have focused... He would have just been a weird person that's over in the corner. I I really do believe that. Or just socially awkward type person. Who's to say he wouldn't have, like, gotten into psychiatry? Yeah. And become, like, a a psychiatrist for, you know, criminals. If one woman would have accepted him and talked to him and liked him, that probably would have satisfied satisfied his need for love and and, there, and then he would have been successful and, and there probably would have been a woman yeah but he never even gave a woman an opportunity he said I, I think I talk about it in the next episode and I hate to spoil it but he tells his sister one day he had a crush on one of his teachers mm-hmm. and his his sister was you know just like jabbing at him like sibling like mm-hmm. you know goading him yeah and she was like why don't you just kiss her and he said well I'd have to kill her first like, he never even considered they might like him. allowing a woman to reciprocate, which is just crazy. But that has got to come from his mother. Mm-hmm. Because the mental ability to do what he does is definitely something he was born with. But the viciousness toward women was definitely birthed from his mom. 100%. Oh, yeah. No, no doubt. that way. But that's where we're going to end part one. And all I can say is part two, you probably just need to move in for the weekend. 
it's a real doozy. It's a real doozy, but it's it's going to be okay. We're going to get through it together. Okay. Sounds good. Smoochy kisses. Smoochy kisses. Bye. Bye. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at bottom of bottom. What are you thinking about? <laughs> booty, booty, booty. <laughs> Bedlam is a scene of madness, chaos, or great confusion. And we're going to pair our mayhem with a bottle of wine. This, this is, is Bottle of Bedlam. Bedlam. <laughs> we suck. We suck so bad. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bottle of Bedlam. Send a recommendation for a case at bottleofbedlam at gmail.com. Don't forget to drop your favorite wine in the comments of our episode by email or on social media. We're always looking for a wine to pair with our episodes.